say thank you to all the new musicians we're having and what what a wonderful thing to have that sharing with us in our singing. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the epistle of John, 1 John, toward the book of Revelation in your Bibles. And we want to look this morning uh, in the first four verses of this particular passage of Scripture. Uh, John has given me an option of preaching through this letter. Now, it's not in a row. He's going to be preaching, and once in a while when he's sick or whatever, um, and he will give me that option, I'm going to be able to continue it on. So keep that in mind, and we'll try to remind you during those times that you might read the letter. Thankfully, it's a letter that you can read in about 15 minutes. And uh, I've read it a lot of times at 15 minutes in the last few days. And um, it's a letter that I love and appreciate. Look with me, if you will, in the first four verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so grateful today for the privilege to open your book. And Lord, I pray that you will help us as we listen, that the Spirit of God might speak to our hearts and encourage us in our faith. And we thank you for the Apostle John, Lord, that you gave us as you used him to write his letters. And Lord, what a challenge they have been to us in our lives. And I pray, Lord, you will help me to be true to the Scriptures this morning and I pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. If there is one here that is unsaved, Lord, may they hear the truth of the gospel today and cry out in repentance and be saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, R.C. Sproul, since he mentioned his name, was known for going in the pulpit and never carrying a note. I'm not R.C. Sproul. I've got three pages here and i got another page hidden over here i got the table up here so I can get them laid out if I need to. And uh, so please don't misunderstand and think somehow that I am he because I am not. We're living in a day where things are getting dimmer and grayer. We're living in a day where absolutes are not welcome. It's amazing. It has affected the church even. Now, I, I realize there are books like the book of Proverbs that deal with subject matters, general truths, and you have to be careful how you apply those sometimes. But when it comes to the fundamental truths of salvation and our faith in Jesus Christ, uh, it's absolute. It, it's black and white. There's no gray in it. And it's a subject matter that we try to 
to be aware of as elders here and pastors here and tending the flock and teaching. John writes this letter for the very purpose, if you will, to clear those lines up. As about 30, 44 years ago this month, I put my faith in Christ and God began transforming my life. But I want to tell you, the first few weeks after my commitment, I thought I was going to go crazy. I was raised under a lot of false teaching and was expecting things that I didn't actually see happening. And the brother that led me to Christ and discipled me, I'll never forget what he said after he led me to Christ. He says, if you ever have a question, I don't care if it's day or night, you call me. He never regretted anything so bad in his life when he said that. And I talked to him. I said, I'm struggling. And he said, listen, you get in the book of John, the gospel of John, and just read. And he says, when you get done, turn back to the front and read it again. And I want to tell you, God used uh, John's writings in his gospel message, if you will, um, that helped me tremendously. And I'm very fond of the writings of John. I would tell any Christian who has been struggling during your walk with Christ, the letter of 1 John is a clear letter. And, and it helps us tremendously. And the church needs to be aware and we need to understand how to answer the question sometimes. John is very straightforward. And, uh, you know, you just could not miss what he had to say about the subject matters. And we're going to be looking at that. I told John the other day as we were together writing, I said, I cannot imagine the Bible without the letters of John. Uh, it would, it would be certainly missed, even though I didn't know what was there. I'm sure I'd miss it. Look at John the man first. I think it's important in you starting a series such as this one that we look at the person in his life. The book of Matthew 10 verses 2 through 4, and we find it also in the book of Mark 3.17 that uh, John was the son of Zebedee. His, his mother's uh, his name was Salome. Uh, church um, history and a lot of folks say today that they were probably first, he was first cousins with the Lord Jesus Christ uh, because of the fact that it's told in tradition that Mary's uh, younger sister was Salome. And so not sure about that, but it's very possible, and it would probably help us understand a little bit better why Jesus and John might have been so close. We're not sure about all those details. But he is the son of Zebedee. His personality and weaknesses as we think about the Apostle John. Uh, in the book of Mark, chapter 3 and verse 17, you find the story in, in, in Luke chapter 9 of, of James and John. Jesus, they've been on a tour, and he's ready to go back to Jerusalem, and he tells them to go into the Samaritans and receive the supplies so they can make their journey. Well, they were rejected and did not receive that, apparently. And James and John come back to Jesus and says, Lord, they, they've rejected you. Call down fire from heaven. Now that tells you a little bit about the Apostle John and what he was like when he first came to know the Lord and what he was like in the early discipleship. He and James were ready. They thought they deserved the same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah in their minds for turning the Lord Jesus away. And Jesus rebuked them sharply, thankfully. And uh, so as you see him in so many ways, you see things that really stand out as we think about him. The story of the transfiguration and I think it's the particular one in the book of Luke in chapter 9 where Peter, James, and John, the inner circle disciples, went up into the mountain with Jesus and there he was transfigured. 
It's an amazing story. After it was all over with, you find Jesus come down and met someone at the foot of the mountain who had a son with a demon and he cast it out. But then as they go on, the very first thing you find out, Jesus is walking along and probably these guys have separated themselves a little bit and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. John's right there in that subject matter. He's probably pointing and hey, James and Peter and I, we all went up that mountain. We've got to be close to the greatest. We're bound to be in that top bunch. He was no different than us. He was very much like us. Even in his Christian walk, he had to grow in grace. And though we see him this way, we will see him as he uh, becomes humiliated and the Lord brings him down to earth, if you will. It was so bad that James and John's mother, and they may have arranged this, we're not sure, come to Jesus and says, listen, would you let my two sons, James and John, one set on the right and one on the left in the kingdom, Man, they've really thought something of themselves. And uh, so we see, as we look at the Apostle John in the early days in the church, he certainly was very much like us. Think about the author in the day. The Apostle John was the last living apostle. He's the only apostle that died a natural death. The rest of the apostles, uh, if you will, now we're not talking about Judas Iscariot in that, but... They were, they were all put to death for their faith, and John was not. And probably as he is writing this letter, he's probably in his 80s, early to mid-80s. We're not sure exactly uh, what that was. But as we look at these particular letters, we, we think about uh, them being just the only letters, and then there's the Gospel of John, and he wrote also the book of Revelation. And so he had there are five writings that he was involved in. The Lord used him uh, to be able to do this. Now... As far as his name, it's not on it. Uh, as you read this letter, you will not find John's name. As you read second and third, you will not find. He, he speaks of himself as the elder in that particular passage. But it's not a problem. That is John's way, seemingly. In the Gospel of John, we find some six times in John chapter 20, John chapter 21, uh, he calls himself that disciple that Jesus loved. By the way, if I was known for that, I'd rather be called that than anything you could call me. Wouldn't you? I mean, what a wonderful thing. And Jesus loves us all. But they were close and they were intimate as friends. And, and no doubt we see that very clearly. Even the night of the Lord's Supper, when Jesus come to the point of, of telling those men, one of you are going to betray me. They were all troubled about it. They all wondered if it was them. And Peter, in one of the passages, says he motioned to John to ask him. And John laid back. Uh, toward Jesus, he was uh, reclining beside him, and he said, Lord, who is it? And, of course, then Jesus goes forth. So we see that intimacy and that closeness of the Lord Jesus Christ and John as we think about this. Now, the date of this writing, we're not real clear on. It's probably anywhere from 85 A.D. to 95 A.D. Couldn't have been hardly after 95 A.D. because of Domitian's, Domitian's um, uh, cry out against the church and all the problems that came as a result of him. And uh, so they would have been mentioned there because of those things. But here in this passage of Scripture, we find the signature is no problem, but certainly in this passage we see John as the beloved. The background of the book, I want to share some thoughts with you on this particular thing. John's no doubt overseer of the churches of Asia Minor. Early church tells us that. Um, He's not writing to an individual church, but it's a circular letter. 
As you read the book of Revelation in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see Thyatira, all the different churches, Ephesus. John probably um, uh, oversaw this area of churches very clearly uh, in the early churches, said that's what he did. And certainly we see that as we look at him doing, he's sending a letter out, and it's going to be passed from church to church. His, his letters all together are characterized by certain words. The word love in all of John's writings come up to a little over a hundred times you will find it in his writings. Also, the word believe some 75, 80 times you find it. In this letter, in 1 John, there are two words that pop up quite often. And here we find the word of confidence and the word of no. The word of no some 36 times. I counted them again last night. Probably got them wrong, but it's close. And confidence four times. John writes this book, and his purpose is that we might know we have eternal life or that we might know that we do not trust in Christ and walking with Christ. We have not been born again. And that is very important. And he speaks of this, that we might have confidence in this passage of Scripture. So certainly that's important. John is writing to deal with a warning that the Apostle Paul left. In the book of Acts in chapter 20, and there in that passage, starting in verse 28, remember what Paul said. Now, John, again, had been located a big part of his time at uh, Ephesus. In chapter 20 of that book, Paul said, Pay careful attention to yourselves, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to take care of for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Here in this passage of Scripture, as the apostle speaks of this, it has happened in these churches. The beginning works of, of the movement of Gnosticism. I'm gonna, I could tell you what Gnosticism is, but I'm gonna just read it because it's a little clear in this passage. Uh, I've been reading uh, a um, commentary, David Allen. And uh, his statement is, is very clear. Gnosticism was taught that the way of salvation was through secret, secret superior knowledge uh, gained um, and initiated. Gnostics considered all matter to be evil, but the spirit to be good. Therefore, the Gnostics taught that your physical body is evil, uh, but your soul is good. Some of the false teachers John is combating in this letter had begun to infiltrate the church and incipient forms of Gnosticism, uh, the Gnostic teachings. The first error was a practical error, teaching Christians wrong ways to live. Imbibing this area, Christians went two extremes. One extreme um, uh, that was asceticism, and the other was extreme licentiousness. And it's very clear as we read First John, as we look at this book, especially when you get uh, right into chapter 1, into chapter 3, we find that some of those believers in this area had come to the idea that their sin did not matter. Some might even have said they have no sin because, hey, listen, if all matter is evil, uh, I can't control my sin, my body is evil, and my spirit is good, so it doesn't matter. Go ahead and sin all you want. And that was the wrong teaching. very much. But the biggest problem with Gnosticism was it denied the body of Jesus Christ. Thank God for the teaching John's been doing on the humanity of Christ. That is the subject matter in this book that's being dealt with so strongly. And they, they denied that Jesus had a body. Uh, 
docetism that come later even from that said that he was some kind of spirit body. The word meant something to appear like, meaning it wasn't a real body, uh, but it was some type of spirit body. By the way, some of them even said if Jesus had to walk through the soft sand, he wouldn't have left any footprints, and that's utter foolishness. We know the scriptures don't teach such things as that. But nevertheless, uh, it was a big problem. And so uh, asceticism, uh, torturing the body and somehow to to uh, make the spirit better, it was utter foolishness. And it went on in many of the churches. Paul dealt with it in Colossians chapter 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, dealt with the, the end of this, if you will, even to the Corinthians. Uh, the, the Corinthians there were saying, hey, the belly is for food, so just eat all you want. And the body is made in such a way that sex is important to you. Just do however you wish. And certainly that was wrong. And that was the mentality that we find apparently here going on uh, in, in this part of the world as John is, is dealing with these errors. John gives very clearly in his books reasons for writing. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, uh, I think it's 20, 21, 20, there in that passage of Scripture, John he talked about all the miracles that Christ did and said there were too many to even record. And there he said, but these things I've written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that in believing you might have eternal life. It's very clear. And that's why that book helped me so much in my younger Christian days to help me in that way. But here in this book, there are three different things, if you will, in this one letter, small letter. Look at verse 4 with me, and we're going to come to it again in a few minutes. But here in verse 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Here in this book, he is writing that we might have joy complete in our life. Listen, we have joy in Christ. There's no question about that. But when we're having a problem with sin, our joy is not complete. When we're having a, a problem with false teaching, our joy is probably not going to be complete. And John is writing to help them understand these things that that is important. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Secondly, he's trying to deal with a sin problem and a misunderstanding about those who walk in the light and those who are walking in the truth. And he says, listen, I'm writing that you might not sin, that you might have power to walk in the Spirit and to be able to overcome your sin here in this passage. Look at chapter 5 with us. Here again, he does the very same thing in a verse that's um, probably... Um, quite popular with you and many of us. I, I've memorized it several times, several versions of the Bible. I'm going to just read it in this one. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And here in this passage, we see John is very clear about what he's doing, what he's writing for, and oh, what a wonderful thing it is that he does so. Now, he's an eyewitness. In our text today, as we look at this, we want to see John as the eyewitness uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the apostle, the last living apostle. Can you imagine what it meant to the church when all the other apostles were gone? Peter and Paul and all those guys have, have been martyred and have suffered loss for Christ, and now he's writing them a letter. They had great problems. They had them to deal with, very thankful for the Lord doing. And I think it's uh, very unusual, too. I've, I've thought about this a lot. There's a lot of question about when the Gospel of John was written, but the others... Uh, they clearly were written at the very end of his life. Now, uh, several authors that I've listened to think he wrote every one of them toward the end of his life. I'm not sure, 
But as you think about this, what a wonderful thing at this time to for these churches to receive a letter from the Apostle John. And here's what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to give you an eyewitness here in this passage in three verses, two verses really, that are going to wipe out every thought you should have about the possibility that Jesus Christ did not have a human body. He very well did. And in these verses, he does so. Notice, he calls his children little uh, the writers or the readers, little children, young men and fathers. Uh, over and over in this passage, we see he is an older man. That's probably why he speaks this way. But he is he's very uh, pastoral, if you will, as he teaches these people. He loves them. He's concerned about them. He's concerned about what's going on in this church and, and these churches where he has overseen and he has been a part of. And, and certainly he, he writes to them in that way. And then uh, the personal testimony of the Apostle John. Listen, he's wiped out all the excuses they will have here in just a few minutes, and that which was from the beginning is his opening words here. Notice what he says. John speaks this way even in the gospel. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. Verse 14, this ought to answer all the questions. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the era of Gnosticism. But here in this passage, he starts off very much the same way. Now, there are writers who think this is talking about eternity past, and it can be, and I'm not going to argue that. But I think as we look at the context of this passage, John is saying, I want you to know I was an eyewitness in the beginning of this ministry with Christ. He was one of the four that were the first called ones to be disciples of Christ and to follow him and to be taught with him and to sleep in areas where he slept. They camped together, no doubt, in their travels. And uh, he says, I'm an eyewitness and I want to share these truths with you to help you to see this. Here, notice in the passage, he says, which have heard, look at verse 1 again, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now, uh, this will tie together here in just a few minutes with other parts in the passage of Scripture. John says, listen, and he didn't tell this in this passage, but they knew what he was talking about. John is saying to them, listen, I heard him. I lived around him for three years. I was there when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. What a wonderful thing that must have been. I was there when he taught us disciples and he trained us. I was there when he was eating with us. I was there the whole time. I saw him. I heard him here in this passage of Scripture. I heard him teach these things. On the Sea of Galilee, no doubt, John could have told them. Listen, that night when the storm came up, says, I'm a fisherman and we were scared to death. We went to the bow of the ship and we woke Jesus up and said, listen, we're going to be destroyed. And Jesus stood up. And he spoke, peace be still, and said, I'm a fisherman. I know what happened. It all calmed down immediately. This man, listen, he was the son of God, but he was a man just like us. He was sleeping in the bow of the ship because he was tired. And as you go on and think about these thoughts in this passage, uh, I, I love the stories that are around the crucifixion. They are so moving to me. Uh, as you read the story of the crucifixion in John chapter 18, verse 4 through 8, they have been uh, around the table, if you will. They have been having the Last Supper. And when it is time, they go into Gethsemane and there they pray. And you remember the story. And Jesus told them, says, fellas, it's time. Let's go. And they leave and they go and they meet Judas Iscariot 
with his deceitful kiss on the cheek of the Lord Jesus Christ and those soldiers that have come to take the Lord Jesus Christ and try him. And there, when they come, Jesus says to them, Who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am he. And when he said so, the scripture says these men fell back and fell down just from the very voice of claiming his godhood. Jesus is the I am here in this passage of scripture. John says, we heard him say these things. We know it. And by the way, that's exactly what he says when John does this. He doesn't just speak for himself. He speaks for all the apostles that were there uh, during these times. We see him as he looked upon them. Look at this passage of scripture. I think this is is uh, very important. We have seen him with our eyes and we have looked upon him. There's two different words in the Greek and I'm not going to bore you with Greek. Uh, I don't know it good enough to be boring you with it. But nevertheless, there's two different words given here. One for look and, and one for they saw him. One means just simply to see someone or to see something. But the other one is, is a word that is used speaking of going to the, the theater to look and to see something. And when you go there, you're studying it. You're looking at it. You're thinking about it. And here in this passage, we haven't just seen him. We have studied this man. We spent three years with this man. We saw who he was. We saw he was not only the son of God, but he was indeed a man. So here in this passage of scripture, John has given all the evidences, if you will, but even more than that. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 24, just a moment. The book of Luke chapter 24. I love this passage of scripture. Um, it has certainly been a, a blessing to me, and I'm sure to you as you read it. This is after the resurrection, and here in the passage of scripture, starting in verse 36, the disciples have gathered, it's after the resurrection. They're hiding, can't really blame them, but nevertheless, they're hiding. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See me, see my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see, as I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, speaking of uh, the spikes where they had been in. And, and, while, they, and while they still um, believed for joy, disbelieved for, uh, for joy and were marveled and said to him, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of rolled fish, and he took it before them, and he ate it. Can you imagine these disciples? I wonder if some of them were standing over there looking, thinking, or if we're going to be able to see it going down. Now, you know, it, it's got to be an amazing thing. He's in his resurrected body. He's in his glorified body, but he is still in a body. And here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus goes out of his way to make sure they understood understood clearly that he is the same one. They went later on to the ascension and they saw him in that body go away. And he said, as I go, same way. So again, here in this passage of scripture, the, the purpose of John is to deal with the false teachings. By the way, those false teachings are dangerous for several reasons. Number one, if there's no literal body of Jesus Christ, there is no atonement. There is no resurrection. There is nothing for us. There is nothing left to hope for, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul in Romans chapter 5 made it so clear 
Jesus, the second Adam, you could not have had it apart from having a body. And so as we see these things, we, we see so important. And they looked upon him, they studied him, and they touched him. They no doubt hugged him at this time. Jesus is eternal life. Go back with me to our text, if you will, and, um, and listen as he continues in this passage of Scripture. Verse 2, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was in the Father, and was made manifest to us that we have seen and heard, and proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. Here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is clearly told to them to be our eternal life. And He is. Listen, that's why it's so important to understand that your salvation is totally tied up in Christ. It's not tied up in what you've done. You and I could never be good enough. Listen, if we could never sin again, we couldn't do anything with the past sins we have and being born in sin. There's nothing we could do about that. There is nothing at all but trusting Jesus Christ that at Calvary He paid for your sins and He calls you to repentance and you come to repentance and you come in faith and you're trusting nothing but what He did in such a way that it transforms your life by the work of the Spirit of God. And here in this passage, and John goes on and says, listen, this thing is everything. This is an absolute, John is saying. It's absolutely important that you understand the false teachers that come along with these things. They are wrong and they are deadly wrong. And it's very important for us. By the way, today, as you are faced by people who might come to your door, uh, and especially if you're not a very well-learned Christian, and I mean understanding deep theology, you need to say no thank you and send them on their way. Um, it's, it's a very dangerous thing. I was baptized in Mormonism as a young person, so glad I did not know what I was doing. Later on, God saved me and transformed my life. I had no idea what they thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. And believe me, they do not think what you and I do. A lot of people think they do. They do not. Uh, the Jehovah's Witness do not think what you and I think about Jesus Christ. Uh, they will speak of him. He is a God to them. He is not the God of eternity. They would not agree the I am that we spoke of a while ago uh, was God uh, fully, Jesus Christ. And so we need to be very careful as these come along. We, we need to understand that he is our eternal life. And listen, uh, when you proclaim this to you, also understand when you have Jesus Christ, you have the Father. And if you are born again, you have the eternal spirit living in your heart. And it is this that gives you the fellowship we have. You know, we talk about fellowship in this passage of Scripture. It's not talking about food fellowship. Now, that's a good thing. I'm not against that. Please don't misunderstand that. But this fellowship talks about a relationship being tied to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. Later on, he says, if you deny the Father, you do not have the Son, vice versa. It is no way you can do it otherwise. And certainly as believers, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. And we have Jesus Christ as our intercessor between us and the Father, not only at Calvary, but interceding for us even this day as we walk and as we struggle with sin and all the battles that we do. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful truth. And here uh, John is making so clear in this passage of Scripture, this is such an important truth as we do look at this and understand it. We have fellowship not only with the Father and with the Son, but with one another. I want to tell you something. I've been saved 44 years, and I've been to a lot of different places, been to a lot of different churches one time for about three months. I forgot how many churches I went to raising funds to start another work. Met Christians everywhere. Met Christians I couldn't hardly understand. When I first 
Listen, I never went out of North Carolina until after I was married. And I told my wife, if we ever get back home, I ain't going again. Went to Pennsylvania. Oh, you ever go and ride with those folks in Pennsylvania one time, you'll be ready to come back. I'm telling you, they're rough. Some of those folks, I couldn't understand it, but I'll tell you what happens. When you get saved, you go and start fellowshipping those people and you find out they know the Lord and you sense that they know the Lord. Friend, there's a fellowship there that you are tied together by Jesus Christ. There is nothing like it in this world. Nothing like it. And John says, listen, we want to have this fellowship. But I want to tell you something. You can't have this fellowship if you do not believe Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ has come in a physical body and humanity and died on Calvary and paid for our sins, there is no fellowship. I don't care how hard you work on spiritual things or whatever it is. The fellowship that we have in Christ is tied to good and true doctrine about Christ and salvation. And that's what he's saying to these people here in this passage of Scripture. And may God help us always understand that. Always be kind to sinners, but understand you and I don't have fellowship with a person who denies that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh. We just don't. No matter how spiritual they look. Stop being ugly. Remember what I said. John is the apostle of love as he was named and nicknamed by many because he talked about it all the time. But John was one who looked at those who said, listen, you say you're in the light and you walk in darkness, you're lying. It was very clear. That's love. By the way, if you think a person thinks they're going to heaven and you set them down and help them see in the scriptures and you tell them they're not, you're not, you're not a hater. You're a lover. I want you to know the truth. I want you to know the way to heaven. And it's important. And we need not let the politically correct today to take away our understanding and the truths of the scripture and being able to stand forth with them and stand strong. The apostle John, yes, he was the loving apostle. But on three or four times we will find as we study this letter, he was very quick to call a person a liar when they were not walking in the truth. May God help us that we do that. And I hope today if you're here, and you are struggling with whether you are a saved person or not, especially a young person. I shared the other day at a meeting my testimony, and this is going to sound terrible, and I do not mean it to be this way. It has been easier for me after immediately getting my assurance than it is for a lot of young folks that were raised in Christian homes. They grew up hearing it. They always said they believed it, and then sometimes they go through this struggle with whether they're truly saved or not. I was living such a horrible life. It was the difference of day and night within two or three weeks of my life. I'm here to tell you that God did a work in my life. And I'm so thankful for that. But if you're struggling with that, get someone to help you to study through maybe and look at some of these things. These are the books you need that will help you to do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Thank you for this great letter. And Lord, I pray that you will help us to hear it and understand it. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you will help us not only to understand it, but to share it as we have opportunity. No greater fellowship than sharing the gospel with one that is lost and they believe and their lives are changed. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity that is. Help us to be faithful to do that. And, Lord, we pray today that you will open our hearts to these truths and help us to grow in in light of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.